Well, again, a reminder as we um, continue on, having finished looking at the Belgic Confession of Faith, we're now looking at 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter. And the Bible, I think, is a very applicable letter to our times that we're facing now as Christians in what seems to be and what looks to be continuously as we move on a post-Christian culture. So, um, and as we look at 1 Peter, I think it might be helpful to us as Christians um, in the Reformed tradition that we not only be familiar with our own confessions, our own catechisms, but also those of our brothers and sisters in the Presbyterian tradition. And so as I see that it is appropriate, um, I'm going to be looking at uh, maybe uh, chapters in the Westminster Confession of Faith, maybe a question and answer from the Westminster Shorter Catechism or Westminster Larger Catechism, so that we have a little bit of that language as well in our repertoire uh, when we consider uh, the doctrines and convictions that we have, that we believe that the scriptures teach. So, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, um, but I'm just going to read from verse 1 through 5 so that we have the whole opening context. That's Pew Bible page 1,886. Pew Bible page 1,886. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, bless the preaching of your word. Lord, may you come through the power of the operation of the Holy Spirit. Make this word good in our lives, applicable and comforting and challenging. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm sure many of you have experienced this. And um, if not, then maybe you won't relate, but I think this is a pretty applicable human experience. You're going through a hard time. You've got something going on in your life that has really got you down in the dumps, so to speak. Um, and, and, and sometimes when you're feeling like that, it can really irk you when some happy person bursts into the room shouting about how good things are going for them. 
And maybe put it in a Christian perspective, maybe you're going through a real difficult time as a Christian. You're struggling with doubts and you're struggling with hardships going on in your life. You're sort of wrestling with God about these things. And some bubbly Christian comes in the room, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I mean, don't you hate it when that happens? About the last thing you want to hear when you're going through hard times is somebody saying, praise the Lord. You don't feel like praising the Lord. You don't feel like that. You, you, you've, got, you've got something going on in your heart that doesn't, you, you don't relate to that person in that moment, and it irks you. It makes you upset. And yet, when the Spirit of God inspired Peter to write to these suffering Christians, after his opening greeting, the first thing he does is burst forth in praise. I mean, it's got an exclamation point, right? And you know how I talk to you guys about exclamation points when we do those readings on the screen because you just don't understand exclamation points. The, re- the way this is supposed to be read is praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Peter starts the letter. I mean, these Christians are being persecuted. They're getting ostracized in their communities. People aren't f- frequenting their businesses because they heard they were Christians. How insensitive of Peter. I mean, how could he do such a thing? Doesn't he understand what these people are going through? Well, let me put it this way. What if you are going through some trial and I burst into the room and exclaim, Praise God, you've just inherited $100 million. Now, how would that make you feel? Would that make a difference? I mean, $100 million inheritance, that might not solve all your problems, but it does have a way of opening up some new interesting opportunities, new interesting options, doesn't it? Maybe it would relieve that, that immediate stress that you might have about your financial situation and the, the security you have for, for you and your family and your kids. With that much money, at least you could take a, a nice long vacation to mull things over, you know? Just daydreaming about how it was back when you were struggling. It may, it may lift your spirits. Okay, back to reality, folks. Okay, you haven't inherited $100 million. Sorry. I didn't mean to disappoint you. I didn't mean to tell you, get you excited. In fact, what you have inherited is something far better than $100 million. Peter is saying... Blessed be God. Praise be to God because he has given us far more than $100 million. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Our inheritance cannot be taken. It's reserved for us in heaven. And that's why... Oh, I got a new marker. Our theme tonight is even... In the midst of trials and hardships. We can praise God. Because our salvation...
is secure. Even in the midst of trials and hardships, we can praise God because our salvation is secure. We have three points tonight. The first is the gift of mercy. The second is the heavenly inheritance. And the third is the shielded faith. So let's start with this first point, the gift of mercy. Peter begins his letter with this, praise God. Praise be to the God and Father. Praise God always. Why? Why is it that we can praise God always? Why does Peter say, even in the midst of you, church, that I'm writing to you, where you're experiencing difficulties, where you're experiencing hardships, where you are going through hard times when you are realizing that it's not popular to be Christian, when you're realizing that being a Christian is going to cost you something, when you are realizing this, how can you praise God? Because in the gift of mercy, he has given us a number of things. New birth, living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I'm going to break these things down because these are uh, what I would call uh, catchwords. These are what I would call uh, words that bear a lot of meaning, and they're just written by Peter in sort of a sense that he, he believes and he understands that his audience is going to understand what these things are, but they, they, have a lot of, they hold a lot of weight. What does new birth mean? Let's start there. Well, the best place to go to learn a little bit more about what new birth is, is John chapter 3, Peter's discussion or not Peter's discussion, Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. Jesus meets with a Pharisee in the middle of the night called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him in the middle of the night because Nicodemus realizes that believing in Jesus or believing that Jesus is serious or not being uh, jealous about Jesus and not being uh, upset about Jesus is not a popular uh, position amongst the Pharisees. Um, and so he meets with Jesus at night in this secretive manner and he says, Jesus, we, we believe you are from the Father because the things that you're saying, um, they, they come with authority. And, and Jesus speaks to this teacher of the people of God, this one who knows the law, the one who knows the Old Testament books of, of the Scripture, um, the one who's meant to carry on and believe these things and teach these things to the people of God. He, he says to him, you should know this, Nicodemus. You should know that whoever wants to enter into the kingdom of God must be born again. And of course, Nicodemus takes this in the literal sense. He says, how can I crawl up inside my mother's womb and be born again? And every woman who has gone through labor says, 
Ain't happening. Once is enough. You're not crawling up there again. And we're not going through this process again, right? Well, Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about new birth that comes from above. Comes from being born again. Comes from having God the Father as uh, your father. John chapter 3, Peter, uh, Jesus says, this new birth comes through the Holy Spirit. And just as if the Holy Spirit is, um, works the way that the wind works, you don't see it, but you feel it. And the wind goes and it does what it wants, and the Holy Spirit is the same way. And this is the way it's always been. And so if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that picture in Ezekiel of dry bones coming to life, right? That's new birth. The picture in Ezekiel of a heart of stone becoming a heart of flesh, that is new birth. The picture in Jeremiah of of there being a cleansing, a sprinkling, this is all depictions of new birth. The picture of the circumcision of the heart. That, Jesus, that God talks about in the Old Testament. That's new birth. And Peter is saying, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in his great mercy, he has brought that new birth to us. That new birth, that regeneration, we have been recipients of that through faith. And it's the great mercy of God that we have that. Um, we were once dead, and now we are alive. Dead in our transgressions and sins, brought to life by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's new birth. What's a living hope? Um, new birth into a living hope. Well, besides the fact that a dead hope is sort of like an oxymoron, hope has to be living. If it's not living, it's not hope. Um, hope, is, um, hope is not an empty phrase that we often use like today. Well, I hope it's not raining when the service is over so that we can do the bonfire. I hope Carrie's sermon doesn't go for 40 minutes so we can do the bonfire sooner, right? Um, hope is, is something that's grounded. And when Peter says living hope, he means this is a hope that you can count on because it's alive. And, and, and because Peter says it's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what Peter is saying is Jesus is our hope. And because Jesus is living, that's why our hope cannot be taken from us. That's why our hope will never die because Jesus will never die. He's our living hope. What do I mean by that? Well, I think one of the great ways that the Heidelberg Catechism talks about this is it says the reason why the resurrection of Jesus Christ means something to us as believers, matters to us as believers, applies to us as believers, and this is the way it it says it, it's because it means that our flesh is in heaven right now. You see, some people think that Jesus died and then When he resurrected, he was some sort of ethereal spirit creature. No, Jesus, the resurrected son of God, who took on the flesh of Mary, he is now in that very same body that was hanging on the cross, seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And if Jesus is in heaven, and he is our Lord, and he is our Savior, and we are saved in him, that means because Jesus is in heaven, his flesh is in heaven, that means that we can know that our flesh will be in heaven too. 
You see how that's a living hope? And that's why we sing songs like, Because He Lives. I too will live. He is our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So praise God, because our salvation comes from His life-giving power. And praise God, because our salvation comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a gift. It's a gift of mercy. Moving on to our second point then, the heavenly inheritance. So after Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says then, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. This new birth into a living hope, you see how these thoughts are connected, right? Is an inheritance. It's an inheritance that we have that cannot perish, spoil, fade. Um, See, sometimes we think of food, and we think of food in terms of perishable and imperishable, right? Well, even so-called imperishable foods will eventually go bad, except for Twinkies. I hear those things will be around forever. And there's also this one experiment that I saw done about McDonald's hamburgers. And apparently, if you leave them out, they'll just get hard. They don't, they don't get mold or anything like that. They just get hard. Now I want a McDonald's hamburger. When Peter says, this living hope, this new birth into a living hope is an inheritance, that term inheritance would carry a lot of meaning for uh, the people back then. It doesn't carry as much meaning today um, because um, inheritance doesn't function often the way that it did back then. When somebody died, when your father died, you received his inheritance. Um, you received what belonged to him. And it still happens today. You'll hear a, a, a last will and testament be read. And the person who died will have given uh, his children certain things, his grandchildren certain things, that kind of thing. Um, when Peter says this is an inheritance that cannot perish, cannot spoil, cannot fade. What he's saying is this new birth into a living hope is something that can't be taken from you. He's saying very much what Jesus says when he says to the people on the Sermon on the Mount. Store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy you see, anything that we try to pile up in this life as an inheritance, it will not last. It's not a forever inheritance. You might have something in your house that you got from your grandfather or your great-grandfather. But as the years go on, those things fade. Those things perish. Those things spoil. They're not going to last forever. And maybe your kids or your great-grandkids won't even remember who it was that had this or gave it to them. You see what I'm saying? But this new birth 
and to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an inheritance that we all participate in, that we all have, that cannot be taken from us. It cannot perish. It cannot devalue. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things these days, we're, we're talking about the, the dollar value is going down. Maybe we need to invest in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Maybe we need to put our money and actually save it in gold because gold actually has a standard or weight that it's measured towards, right? Well, there is no chance that this new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have is going to devalue or be lost or stolen. Here's the reason why. Because it's kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you. Maybe some of you bank at a credit union. Maybe some of you bank at Providence Bank and Trust. Maybe some of you bank at Fifth Third Bank. Maybe some of you bank any number of places you can choose from. And the thing that we like to just say about banks is that then our money is secure, right? It means... That, that that money can't be lost in any way. Um, they keep it for us. They secure it for us. We trust them with it. Right? If you don't trust your bank with your money, then you shouldn't be banking there. There is no bank like heaven. The safety deposit box of heaven Nobody can get into. It can't be robbed. It can't be stolen. And here's the crazy thing about what Jesus said when he said, don't store up treasure for yourself here on earth. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. What he was really saying is, I'm the treasure. I'm the treasure. And I came down here to purchase your salvation. I came down here to ensure that you, my people, could spend eternity with me. I am going to the Father's house where there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I am going to be there in the flesh, seated at the right hand of God. And you are going to be united to me. In my death, you died. In my life, you live. And you will always live. And because I am there, you will always have a new hope, a new birth, and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You will always have an inheritance because I'm your inheritance and I'm in heaven and I'm kept safely there for you. And I'm going to bring in terminology from the Heidelberg Catechism because I think it helps here too. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us because we are united to Christ, we have the blessing of all the benefits of Christ. And what are all the benefits of Christ? Sonship. Inheritor of the nations. The blessings are innumerable. They cannot be mentioned. The Westminster Confession of Faith uses words to describe this heavenly inheritance that cannot spoil, that cannot perish, that cannot fade. Chapter 17, it talks about the perseverance of the saints. 
In the first two parts of chapter 17, this is what we read. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which arises, riseth all the, all the, also the certainty and infallibility thereof. We can praise God because what this means, the heavenly, heavenly inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, uh, means is that our salvation is promised and secure. Let's move to this final point. shielded faith. So if we continue uh, Peter's train of thought, right? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, So shielded faith, what does that mean? Um, Through faith are shielded by God's power. Um, It means that this faith that we have, since it is a faith given by God, it's a gifted faith, it's a part of our new birth. It's a part of our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a part of our inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. This faith is a faith that um, is protected. That's what a shield does. A shield protects you from the arrows of Satan. A shield protects you from what John calls the world, the flesh, the devil. A shield protects you from those things which would seek to unarm your faith, disarm your faith, weaken your faith. And, and, and this is why Perseverance of the Saints, chapter 17, point three, continues to go on. It says, Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their per- per- preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue it therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grievous Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt, and scandalize others and bring temporal judgment upon themselves. Nonetheless, they will persevere. So perseverance of the saints does not mean that people don't go through struggles, that they don't have doubts, that they don't struggle with their faith, that they don't have hardships, they don't have moments in which they struggle with God and they're wrestling with God and they may even be mad at God. Um, That doesn't mean that this isn't the case. It doesn't mean that perseverance of the saints doesn't mean that Christians don't fall into a season of sin, a time of stumbling, a time in which it may seem that they're not going to, to make it, that they've fallen from grace. But in the end, 
they will persevere because it is a protected, shielded faith by God's power. And it's not just a protected, shielded faith by God's power, but it's a protected, shielded faith that we are assured will make it to the end. The reason why I began uh, this uh, evening's worship service with a quotation from Joel and a little explanation about how Peter believed that when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost following the ascension of Jesus Christ, that they were in the last days is because Peter writes to his audience with the understanding that they are last days people. He says to them, your faith is shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's Peter's way of saying the last days. And that's why I named the sermon Living Hope for Last Days. You know, we can praise God because we are securely guarded by God's power through faith. We can praise God because we are assured that this faith will make it to the end. And we can praise God because we are promised that there is so much more to come. You see, when Peter says our faith, we're shielded through faith by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time, one of the things that he's saying is, what you have begun to experience now in salvation is only a small part of what will be revealed in the end. A small part of what will be shown to be the whole salvation that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. So much grander, so much more great, so much more awesome. You know, sometimes I think it's a good exercise for us as Christians um, to, uh, to think about our lives in the sense of the temporal and the eternal. Um, we often feel that what we're experiencing and what we're going through is the ultimate. It's all that matters because it's right in front of us. It's what we're facing right then and there. And, 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 we, and we maximize its importance. We maximize um, the, the frustration that we may be experiencing, the hardships that we may be going through, the, the financial difficulties that we may be having. They overwhelm us. They cloud our vision. They keep us from looking further beyond the point that we're experiencing right there in that moment. We, uh, we, uh, we become overwhelmed with the temporal. But let me, let me help you with something that might give you perspective. If you took a moment to realize that even if you live to be 100 years old, what you are experiencing and going through now is a bleep in the eternity that awaits us in Jesus Christ. The eternity that awaits us in our resurrection bodies, the eternity that awaits us in the presence of God the Father and the land that was slain, the eternity that awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth, where all that is wrong and cursed with this world and all the sin that remains in us and all the hardships and the difficulties that we experience and all the tears are wiped away, that eternity that awaits us, where all will be enjoyment, where work will be wonderful, it won't be anything like Ecclesiastes, toil and vanity. When all of that comes, do you realize how insignificant you're going to think of your life now? 
how much of a bleep in the grand scheme of things it will be. Peter is saying, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because in his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And if you can just hold on to realizing and knowing that that inheritance is coming and it's going to be revealed in the last day, then you can go through whatever it is that you're going through and still give praise to God. You can do that. You see, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing strong enough to save us from our sins. If your faith is in yourself or your own goodness, you will not make it. If your faith is in what God has done through Christ because of his great mercy, then no matter what problems you face now, you can join Peter in proclaiming, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has saved me according to his great mercy. Because my salvation is not from myself, but from God. And I am saved unto eternity. And i got to be honest with you guys. We need to get it into our hearts and our minds. That that is so much better than inheriting $100 million. That inheritance is so much greater than anything you can inherit in this life. Even in the midst of trials and hardships, we can praise God because our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us living hope for last days. And that we can praise you for your great gift of mercy. For our new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we praise you, Lord, that our salvation is a gift of your mercy. We praise you, Lord, because our salvation comes from your life-giving power, not our own work. We praise you, Lord, because our salvation comes from and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, We praise you, Lord, because our salvation is secure. It's an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. That's kept in heaven for us. And we praise you, Lord, because we are securely guarded by your power through faith. We praise you, Lord, because we are assured that we will make it to the very end, to the last time, to the last day when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead. And we praise you, Lord, because we're promised that there is so much more to come. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that our inheritance in Jesus Christ is far better than $100 million. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.